We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is Dylan Mulvaney and how in the world did our culture get here? One recent tweet described the United States of America as a culture in moral freefall. I agree. We have lost the very definition of what it means to be moral, what it means to be immoral, what it means to be right or wrong, good or evil. We have lost the very concept of sin. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening into the show. Today's topic is sin. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about it within the context of a recent tweet issued by William Wolfe, and that's Wolf spelled with an E at the end. William Wolfe was an assistant secretary for the Department of Defense at one time, in our Republican administration for President number 45, Donald J. Trump. And William Wolfe is a Christian, and he recently posted something that is fascinating to me. We'll talk about it, but I'm going to do so within the parameters, within the box, if you will, of Dylan Mulvaney and this story that is just running all over the place. Some of you may have even thought to yourselves, why isn't Piper covering this? Well, one of the reasons I stayed away from it for the last couple days is I've talked about this stuff all of the time. Some of my listeners, maybe you even included, have have scratched your head once in a while and said uh, to yourself, uh, Piper has kind of beaten this horse to death. He needs to move on to a different topic. You know I've tackled the LGBTQIA uh, the fallacy, the lunacy that comes with the rainbow cabal, the agenda of the sexual nihilism of the left. I've tackled it over and over again. I've tackled the misogyny of the trans ideology, this Dylan Mulvaney nonsense. I've told you that this is black-facing women. It is no different than a white person dressing up in exaggerated makeup and costume and mimicking and mocking black people. What what men are doing to women right now, what the LGBTQIA cabal is doing to females is not feminism. It's misogyny. You're maligning women. You're mocking women. You're making fun of them. You're creating exaggerated images of women that are, frankly, insulting. You're stealing what is theirs. This is cultural appropriation to the extreme. And this is what Dylan Mulvaney is doing. This is a guy. This is a dude. He's dressing up like Aubrey Hepburn, and he's making fun of women with exaggerated mannerisms, speech patterns, dress, walk, talk. He's making fun of females. This is not feminism. Every feminist listening to me right now should agree. I don't care whether you're Christian or whether you're atheist. How can you celebrate and applaud a man who is stealing things that are yours, your identity, your freedom, your dignity, your shower, your bathroom, your sport, everything that's yours, Dylan Mulvaney is stealing, and Budweiser Light is celebrating it. You should be offended. 
you should be ticked off to the extreme. You should be screaming from the high heavens, do not do this. And you should be demanding that the politicians on the right and the left stop this, or at least say it's wrong if they're not going to establish laws against it, which maybe they shouldn't. I mean, if people want to act like idiots and be stupid and insulting to other human beings, I'm not sure we should make that illegal. But we certainly should establish laws that men can't steal a woman's bathroom and insult you by suggesting that if you don't like it as a female, as a woman, that you're the one in the wrong, that somehow you just have to bow at the altar of this radical sexual agenda and say, oh, that's good rather than bad. That's bitter rather than sweet. You have to reverse the definitions of what's right and wrong, good and evil. You have to, dis- you have to bow at this cultural God that's been created in the image of a rainbow. Uh, I've talked about it ad nauseum. You know that. I've, I've beaten this horse to death. I've told you why this is a dangerous agenda. I've talked about how this trans ideology not only is insulting to women, but it's dangerous to children because you're stealing the dignity of women and you're robbing children of their innocence. I mean, you've dumbed down the definition of a, an adult to the point where e- even that supposedly objective understanding that we have between the difference of adults and children. We've, we've even changed that. You've, you've dumbed down adulthood to such a, such a ridiculous uh, level and minimal standard that you're now allowing children to, to declare themselves as being adults in their earliest ages, 11, 12 years of age. If they want to have sex transition surgery, they can get it without even informing their parents that the implication there is that these children are adults and that as adults they have the right to mutilate their bodies to request that a surgeon cut off functioning organs because adults have the right to make those decisions and how could you even pretend that this is legal if you aren't granting adult status to a 10, 11, 12 year old? Do you get my point here? I've gone over this time and time again. We've sacrificed our children on the altar of this sexual debauchery and sexual nihilism, this moral relativism that we've decided is the basis of our culture right now. It's no longer in God we trust, but it's in government we trust, and government is now our God. And if government is our God, then we, the people, the majority, 50% plus one, will be God. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. God will crush the 49 And God is government. God is the people. God is the gang. That's where we are as a culture right now. But how did we get here? That's the topic of today's show. So after we take a break, I'm going to read this tweet to you by William Wolfe, and I'm going to comment on it, give you some statistics that are real in our culture right now, and we'll talk a little bit about Carl Menninger's classic book, Whatever Became of Sin. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Let's take a break, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. 
The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to the Rebellion. So let's start out with this tweet that William E. Wolf put out a couple days ago. And again, that's Wolf with an E at the end. W-O-L-F-E. William Wolf was the uh, Assistant Secretary of Defense under Donald Trump's administration for a period of time, and he's a Christian. He tweeted this, The data makes this very clear. The continuing increase of younger generations identifying as LGBTQIA is an inorganic, manufactured social contagion spread by social media. Now, I want to focus on those words of William Wolfe. This LGBTQIA agenda is an inorganic, manufactured social contagion spread by social media. Well, I agree with that, but I've added to it. I reposted this and I said, and, quote, inorganic manufactured social contagion, close quote, otherwise known as sin. So I agree with Wolf's concerns because what he did is he posted a graph that was recently put out that shows that from 2014 to 2022, the percentage of the U.S. population that is now identifying as LGBTQ is disproportionately exploding. It shows that in 2014 that millennials identified as LGBTQ by about 7%. It says that Generation generation X, excuse me, I'll say that one more time, Generation X, those that were born between 1965 and 1980, they identified as LGBTQIA at about 3.5-4%. It shows that baby boomers were even less than that, at about 3%. And that traditionalists, those that were born uh, 1946 or before, there were, oh, two, maybe 2.5%. Two I'm looking at a bar graph. It doesn't give the exact numbers, but the bar graph gives me the approximate area there. So you've got 2% or thereabout for traditionalists. You've got a little bit more, maybe 3% for baby boomers. If you get into Generation X, those born 1965 to 1980, they were around 3.5% or thereabout. And then you had millennials, those that were born 1981 to 1996, and they were slightly over 5% at between, oh, let's say 6 and 7% by this power graph. So that may not surprise you as you look at that graph. But what should stun you is how it's increased from then until 2022. Well, what are the numbers in 2022? Well, they're about the same for traditionalists 
and for baby boomers and Gen X. Those numbers don't change. But but the millennials, okay, they moved from approximately 6% or thereabout to 11.2%. Millennials doubled in their identification as being homosexual, bi, or trans, or fluid. Okay, they doubled. They went from about 6% up to 11.2%. Now, there's another generation that has been born since then. Okay, a generation that has been born since 2014, and that's called Gen Z. Now, Gen Z identifies as LGBTQIA at what? Get ready for it, 19.7%. So those children that we have brought into the world since... 2014 are identifying at 20%, if you round up from the 19.7, 20%, 2 out of 10, 20% of Gen Zers identify as LGBTQIA, as compared to traditionalists at 1.7, and baby boomers at 2.7, and Gen X at 3.3. 20%. And millennials have doubled from what they were in 2014. They've gone from a little over 6% to 11.2%. And what is William Wolfe's point? That this proves, this proves that this LGBTQIA agenda is not organic. It's not natural. It's not real. In other words, this isn't really who people are. It's what they've decided to be. And they've decided to identify as LGBTQIA because of what? because of social media, because of society. This is a manufactured social contagion, says William Wolfe. Our younger generations that are identifying as LGBTQIA is an inorganic, it's not natural, it's manufactured, and it's a social contagion that's spread by social media. Well, I agree with him 100%. I, I, I obviously stand up and give him a standing ovation for pointing out that this is inorganic. It's not natural. It's not the outcome of who these people really are. They're being told things, taught things. They're being, they're being propagandized by social media. And I would add to that society at large and the three main factors of society that inculcate values, identity, if you will, the moral fiber, character, and awareness of its progeny would be parents, preachers, and professors, okay, teachers, preachers, and moms and dads. And as I've argued before on this show, I think all three of those entities have done a terrible job. The helicopter parenting of affirmation rather than confrontation is bearing itself out in ugly ways in our culture right now. When you start affirming and giving your child a great big hug when he is delusional and he thinks he's something he's not, you're not a good parent, you're a terrible parent, and shame on you. Uh, My opinion is you should be confronted and maybe even arrested for child endangerment and contributing to the delinquency of a minor if you're stupid enough to take your kid off to a drag queen performance when he's 5, 10, or 12 years of age. Of course he's going to be confused. Of course he's going to start making stupid decisions if you have allowed him to be propagandized and indoctrinated by somebody that this is that is that morally debased, a drag queen and everybody else that's supporting and promoting the show. I mean, even drag queens, some of them themselves are laughing at this and saying, what are you doing? 
these drag queen performances that we do are for nightclubs. They're for adult giggles and laughs. Why are you bringing your children to this nonsense? And there's other data out there that shows that these drag performers and their advocates that want children at their performances, at their parties, want them there because they do indeed want to groom these children. They're very, very sexually debased people, and they're interested in dumbing down the definition of adulthood so that these children can start giving consent to engage in sexual activity. That's what's going on, and parents are dragging their kids off to these events thinking that they're being all woke and self-righteous and that they're teaching their kids to be tolerant of others. What a bunch of crap. It's a boatload of baloney. And the proof is that you're raising up a generation that has bought the lie. They've imbibed the Kool-Aid. You now have 20% of, millenn- of not millennials, of Gen Zers who identify with this delusion. They actually think that this is who people really are. Well, it's not who people are. It's who they've been taught to be, indoctrinated to be, propagandized to be. It's a social contagion. It's manufactured. This is not organic. It's not natural. It's unnatural. It's inorganic. It's manufactured. It's a social contagion spread by social media, and that would also include your teachers, your preachers, and your parents. Preachers aren't preaching against it, and teachers are teaching the exact opposite through the sex education curriculum in your local schools, okay? Again, I've talked about this over and over again, but where I think William Wolfe missed the mark And I'm not saying that he disagrees with me. He just didn't choose to use this word. Yeah, it's inorganic and manufactured. It's a social contagion. Standing ovation applause, William Wolfe. I agree. But it's known as something. It's just sin. All of this garbage is sin. So this leads me to the question that uh, Carl Menninger asked back in the early 1970s when he wrote his seminal book, his classic work, Whatever Became of Sin. He warned of this. This was in the 70s. He warned us of this, that we have, we've abandoned the very idea of sin, and we've started calling it different things. And there are negative consequences to our culture and to you as a human being, to your family and to your kids, if you stop calling sin, sin. If you dumb the definition of sin down to a social contagion or an inorganic, manufactured set of bad behaviors. Yes, it's all of that, but it is also sin. So I want to talk a little bit in the rest of the show about Carl Menninger's work and how he warned of this. Okay, as I as I cover this, you're going to hear the pages turning a little bit because I'm actually reading from his book. And again, this was a 1973 publication. It was popular when I was going to college, my undergraduate work at Spring Harbor University, because I, I studied psychology. I that, that was my undergraduate um, degree, uh, baccalaureate, a BA in psychology. And Carl Menninger uh, was one of the things that we read. Now, it was, oh, half a dozen years old at that time. But as you can imagine, it was still well-respected and it was well-known. Now, you may have never heard of it before because Menninger is dead now. So he's no longer considered a leading psychologist of our time, even though he was then. And the very idea of sin has been so abandoned by our culture, nobody talks about it anymore. You certainly don't hear it in your schools, and you certainly don't hear much about it in your church any longer. And my land, do parents ever confront their children for sinning today? Do, they, do you talk about that? Do you believe your child, your son or daughter, is a sinner? 
Or do you affirm your kid every time he does something that's stupid, ill-advised, and just bold-faced wrong? Do you call it what it is? Do you call a spade a spade? Do you call it sin? Now, Menninger says in his chapter, The Disappearance of Sin, an eyewitness account, he says, In all of the laments and reproaches made by our seers and prophets, one misses any mention of sin. It was a word once in everyone's mind, but now rarely, if if ever, is it heard. Sin with an I in the middle is no longer something that we talk about. Is no one any longer guilty of anything? Guilty, perhaps, of a sin that could be reported or repaired or atoned for. Is it only that someone made a stupid or sick or criminal decision? Wrong things are being done, yes, but is no one responsible, he asks. Anxiety and depression, we all acknowledge, but has no one committed any sins? Do you understand what he's asking there? We've, we've called misbehavior a mistake. We've, we've attributed it to depression and anxiety. We blame everything on our culture, on our, on our environment, on the world around us. Well, that's why people behave badly. It's because of the economy. It's because they don't have enough money. It's because of the history of the United States. It's because of slavery. It's because of bigotry. It's because of racism. It's because of intersectionality, uh, trigger issues. It's because people haven't been accepting and tolerant and affirming. Do you hear what I'm saying? Does this all sound familiar to you? Every misdeed, everything that's wrong with the world is the fault of someone else or something else. It's not the result of what lays in every human heart, and that is sin. We've lost the very concept of sin. We don't call the misbehavior what it is. We call it a mistake. Bill Clinton has sex with an intern in his office, and he apologizes for making a mistake. He never says, I sinned, and I'm confessing that sin, and I ask you to forgive me for it. You don't hear that any longer. In fact, Menninger makes the argument that the last president of the United States to even mention the word sin in any address was Dwight uh, D. Eisenhower. And arguably, yes, this book was written in 1973, so you could say, well, maybe presidents thereafter have mentioned the word sin, but I don't think they have. You find me one reference to sin in any of the presidents since 1973. Did Jimmy Carter mention sin? Did Ronald Reagan mention sin? Did George Herbert Walker Bush talk about sin? Did Bill Clinton? No, I already mentioned, I don't think he did. Uh, He said, well, I didn't have sex with that woman, and then it depends what the definition of is is. And then when he got caught with his pants down, literally, and the blue dress and the evidence therein, uh, he apologized sort of for some mistakes, but there there was no acknowledgement of personal culpability in sin. Sin, it's not just a mistake, it's not just wrong. It's, it's, it's not done, I've made, I've made bad decisions in my life. No, it's sin. It's not just a social contagion. It's manufactured, yes, but it is also sin. This LGBTQIA moral nihilism. It goes back to uh, Judge Kennedy's, Justice Kennedy's admonition that every man has the right to define his own concept of existence and happiness and meaning in the universe. That's garbage. You don't have the right to define everything. And when you start defining everything, stuff like what Bill Clinton does is no longer defined as sin, but just a, a little oopsie. 
And y'all should just kind of give it a wink and a nod because it really wasn't that bad. Everybody does that stuff, right? And and then you move on from Bill Clinton. You've got Barack Obama, who, who well, I skipped somebody. You've got George W. Bush. I don't remember him talking about sin. Then you have Barack Obama. Nothing is the result of personal sin. It's all the fault of somebody and something else. I mean, this this is the reality of the Obama administration's dramatic transformation of the United States of America. We're not talking about personal responsibility and culpability any longer. We're talking about history. We're talking about the endemic uh, brokenness of the United States culture, the system of America. That's what that's what's wrong, what's wrong with the world, not personal sin. And now we are where we are today. We, we've got Donald Trump, okay? I, I haven't heard Donald Trump acknowledge that he's a sinful man. And then all the conservatives start defending him because we're sick and tired of the the rules of the game always playing out against us. And I agree with that. But in the in the meantime, we've stopped identifying sin as what it is. The way Donald Trump behaved prior to his presidency was sinful. The way he behaved with women and the way he behaved with other people was not right. It was wrong. It was sinful. And he refused to acknowledge that. In fact, even in an interview when asked if he had ever committed any sins, he said he didn't think he had. Now, has he changed since then? I don't know. Maybe he has. But the bottom line, the point of today's show is to ask the basic question that Carl Menninger brings to the table, and that is, whatever became of a sin? When you lose the definition of that word, and when it no longer even is used in your culture, if it's escaped your lexicon, if it isn't even in your vocabulary, if your dictionary doesn't include it, and you if you have to go Google the definition of that word because you've never heard it before and you don't use it and you don't understand its, its uh, proper application to the world around us, you've got a problem as a people and as a culture. Everything digresses, and where does it lead? It leads to Dylan Mulvaney being chosen for uh, for marketing and promoting Bud Light. Now, you've got a lot of people that are mad about it, and good. I guess Anheuser-Busch's stock has dropped some, I think the last number I heard was around $8 billion in a few days after the stupid marketing campaign, because people are mad. Intuitively, they understand that this is a joke. But if you ask anybody who is... Um, who is out there destroying cases of Bud Light with an AR-15, in the, as in the case of Kid Rock, or even Travis Tritt, who says he's not going to include Bud Light in his campaigns any longer. If you ask anybody to, to tell you why they don't like this, the answers are rather shallow. Um, I don't hear really very much depth in the reason. They're just mad, and they they give the middle finger to Bud Light, and they go out and use an AR-15 to shoot up cases of beer to make their point. Okay, great. Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch was wrong to feature this misogynist who's mocking and maligning women, but say it. Tell people that's why you're shooting up cases of beer. But even more important than talking about his misogyny and Bud Light's duplicity and hypocrisy and degrading women in the name of inclusion and and elevating a man who is blackfacing women during a, a, a time when women are supposed to be celebrated and featured as exemplars, you actually are going to take away their identity and their dignity while you're supposedly celebrating them? This is blatant duplicity and hypocrisy. Say that, yes. But here's the point of Carl Menninger. 
you also need to do something else. Call it what it is. This is sin, pure and simple. We've lost the very concept in the United States of America of personal, moral responsibility, culpability, and compromise. We've lost the very idea of sin. The Bible is very clear on this. The biblical worldview is clear on this. Abraham Lincoln spoke of sin. The presidents that preceded him spoke of sin. They, they called for a time of confession. Confession of what? Sin. Not apologies. Not a, uh, an oopsie tour like Bill Clinton. Not a pointing of the finger outward at everybody else and blaming all of your misdeeds, your bad behavior on culture. No. They called for a time of personal repentance. At recognizing that the United States of America was far from perfect and that you, as an American, and I, as an American, cannot claim to be above reproach. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And if you claim to be without sin, if you claim to be without sin, you make God out to be a liar. And there's no truth in you. But if we confess those sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of those sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When any culture has lost the concept, the word, sin, then that culture will collapse. Yes, it will be inorganic. It will be manufactured. It will be a culture in moral freefall. William Wolfe is right. The freefall, however, is not the result of mistakes. It's the consequence of sin. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.